They say that those who never learn from history are what? Doomed to repeat it. Humans are fickle creatures. We're prone to forget. It's not just little things. I mean, just, just last night, I opened my phone up to look at something and try and find some information. And as soon as my phone was out of my pocket, I'd completely forgotten what I was supposed to be looking for. It didn't come to me for another five minutes. Um, we've all had that, that same sort of experience. If it's not something with your phone, you've walked into a room and then forgotten why you walked in there in the first place and had to retrace your steps. You know, we're, but we're not just prone to forget little trivial things like that. We, we're prone to forget the big things as well. Think about the, that sin habit that you've been trying to kill for what feels like forever. You, you promise that it's, that it's not going to happen again. You're not going to let this take place in your life again. And then all of a sudden, oops. This is why we must never think that we can move on from the core message of the gospel. Jude talked about that at the beginning when he reminded the, the believers that he was writing to about who they are in Christ. They're called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Jerry Bridges, in, in one of his books, says that we need to preach the Gospel to ourselves every day. We need to remind ourselves of the truth of the Gospel because we never move on from it. It is at the center of our lives from now into eternity. That way, as long as, when we are preaching the gospel to ourselves, when we are reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel on a regular basis, we can boldly proclaim the faith, as Jude is calling us to do, because we know it so well. We can defend it from the attacks of false doctrine, again, because we know it. We know what God's word says. And not only can we defend the gospel, from false doctrines, but we can also defend ourselves against falling prey to those same false teachings. Again, we're prone to forget. It's easy for us to to be enticed into the deception of false doctrine, but if we're focused on the gospel of Christ, if we remain in the gospel, then that protects us from the, the, the false doctrines, those waves and winds of false doctrine that, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. So this has been Jude's primary concern in writing this short letter. He wants to equip his readers to defend the faith. He's reminded them of their status as believers, as I already said at the beginning of this book. He's urged them to contend for the faith that they trusted in. And he has comprehensively demolished the lies of the false teachers that had crept their way into the church. We've seen that in the last few times that we've looked at this book. Now that offensive attack on false teaching, it can be helpful, but it is only truly effective when it is paired with a life that is faithfully lived for Christ. 
Again, we, we're getting back to that, that foundation of the gospel that everything in our lives needs to be built upon. Without the foundation of faith, even the most ardent defender of the faith can fall prey to the deceptions of sin. Jude doesn't want that to happen. He wants to, to protect the church, preserve the truth of the gospel. And that is why he has written this letter. He urges his readers to stay rooted, to stay kept in the truth of the gospel. So this morning, since this is such a short letter and this is kind of our conclusion of studying this book, let's read the entire letter together from start to finish. Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I would remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their position of authority but left their proper dwelling... He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all 
and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Now, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So we see Jude's focus that these early believers would not fall prey to the lies of these false teachers, but would, as he says, keep themselves in the love of God. And that's what we're looking at today. And we're going to see that God keeps us in the faith so that we can defend it with our lives. God keeps us in the faith so that we can defend it with our lives. He shows us that by giving three basic commands through these last uh, nine verses. Had to do some math there. Nine verses. First section, first command that we see is we are commanded to remember what we know. Remember what you know. This is verses 17 through 19. Now, as I said, humans are prone to forget. Even in this case, Jude is calling his readers to remember what the apostles said. This isn't that far removed from the earth. This is part of the early church. Jude is still part of the first generation of the church. So he's reminding them of things that they should know pretty well because it would have just recently happened. But he has to remind them because these false teachers, these false Christians, have infiltrated the church and are corrupting or deceiving or even just causing some people to doubt their faith because of their their lies and their false doctrines, he has to remind them of what the apostles have said. 
So we see that in verse 18, this prediction of the apostles, and it's meant to be an encouragement for the church. Believe it or not, this is meant to be an encouragement for the believers. There were, there were the, these congregations that, that Jude's writing to. We don't know exactly who, who he's writing to. He's just writing to the church at large from, from what we can tell. So these, these early churches were, were feeling shipwrecked by false teachers. They're worrying about whether their gospel is the right one or if these false teachers have a different gospel that is actually correct. But the apostles step in to encourage and embolden the church by saying that in the last time, meaning from the time of Christ's first coming to His second coming, this this time that is called the last days before Christ returns and ushers in a new era, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Now you can you can look at this later, but in Second Peter three three, we see exact pretty much the verbatim exactly what Jude says. So it's likely that Jude is remembering what Peter had written and just reminding them. Second Peter was written as kind of a warning for the churches that they not fall into this false doctrine that was threatening to creep in. Jude is writing because they've let that false doctrine creep in. So he's reminding them of the warnings that they were given. But again, this is meant to be an encouragement, and we'll see why in in a little bit. These ungodly people are so full of self-assured arrogance that they are willing to lead many away from the true gospel. And this is not a new fear, a new threat. Jesus Himself warned of this in Matthew 24 when He talks about signs of the end of the age. This is not something that is uncommon for the church to deal with. Matthew 24, verses 11 and 12 say, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So we see kind of a double-edged sword in what Jesus is saying in that passage in Matthew. You know, many will be drawn away by those false teachings. They'll be led astray and into false doctrine. But then there is another group that see the, the false teachings and the corrupt nature of the church to whatever degree. And they become cynical and lose the, the love that they had. It says the love of many will grow cold. So that's, that's another warning for us is not to fall into doubt or fear over our faith, but also not to let our faith grow cold because we become so cynical about all these false teachings. I mean, there are many false teachings in, in our world today. Think about what most of the country celebrated just last month. It's a fair, and many churches leaned into that. I, I, I could see why people would feel cynical about the church in that respect. 
But that's not what we're called to do. We're, we're reminded by Christ and by the apostles that this is going to happen. This is not outside of the plan of God. Jude can't help but give one more piece of commentary about this in verse 19. He says that, that it is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So they're, they're divisive. These false teachers, these false Christians are divisive. They're leading people astray and they're making others callous to Christianity because they're leading people astray. They're worldly. Their lives are oriented to the sinful values of this sinful world. Their worldly lives make it clear that they are devoid of the Spirit. They're not living according to the Spirit's guidance. That's what, that's what Jude is, is saying here. That these false Christians are causing these divisions that ought not to be there within the church. They're holding up lies as truth, promoting their own false doctrine in order to lead people astray. They're tearing the church apart from the inside. That's interesting to, to think by Jude saying that they're devoid of the Spirit, these false Christians. It reminds me of Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. You don't have to turn there. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 is part of this long benediction and praise of God for what He has done in the lives of believers. Verses 13 and 14 specifically talk about how God has sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit. And it is the Spirit's guiding presence within our lives that is the seal on the life of the believer, the, a defining characteristic of a Christian. So by living contrary to what Scripture says... These people have proved that the Spirit is not in them, that they have not been sealed by the Spirit. So Jude is calling his readers to remember this prediction from the apostles, whether it was just Peter or all of the apostles, we're not sure. And this is meant to be an encouragement because it shows the true nature of these people's so-called faith these false teachers that had infiltrated the church, clearly they're not Christians. They're masquerading as believers and fulfilling their own desires. Judah's already said that. This is not a threat that we ought to worry about because God already knew that this would be the case. Their end is sure. We saw the last time that we looked at the book of Jude, what awaits these false Christians who are promoting false doctrine? An eternal judgment, separation from God, eternal fire. So this is meant to be an encouragement, meant to embolden true believers in the faith that they have held to, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints in Christ. But it doesn't end there. Remember, we can, you know, we can rest secure knowing that these false teachers are false, for lack of a better word, 
But without a proper foundation upon what is true, we run the risk of becoming just like these false Christians. That is why Jude calls us to stay kept in God's love. That's our second point. Stay kept in God's love. How do you effectively defend the faith against false teachers? Well, you, you stay kept in that faith. You remain in that faith. Rather than listen to the lies of false teachers that the prom, promote their lies as truth, we need to continue building on the foundation of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude said in verse 3. That way we can faithfully contend for it. So Judas told his readers that these false Christians have infiltrated the church. He's revealed the truly wicked nature of their hearts. And Jude finally, after all of this time, you know, he starts the book by saying, I'm writing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And we don't see another command for believers until verse 20. And really, it does, the, the main command doesn't come until verse 21. But, but finally, Jude is addressing what believers ought to do. So there are a couple of different categories of commands that are found in this section. First, we see four commands that happen within ourselves, things that we ought to be doing within ourselves. And then we'll see three more commands about how that translates into the way that we live and how we interact with others. So in verses 20 and 21, we see four commands of how we ourselves ought to live, what ought to be characteristic of our own lives. The first one I want to look at is in verse 21. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. In verses 20 and 21, there is this one main command surrounded by three participles that that are all connected to that main command. They're all facets of this main command of keeping ourselves in the love of God. So Jude is calling on his readers to not abandon the faith. Don't give in to the divisions and the enticing false teachings of these false Christians. Now you'll see verse 21 says, keep yourselves, and I've titled this section and and this whole sermon, Stay Kept. What's the difference? Why, why Why the difference between those things? Well, who's able to keep anyone in the love of God? God. God is the only one who can keep us in His love, who can keep us in the faith. If it were up to our own works, we'd be hopeless. And that's that's the whole point of the gospel is that we cannot earn our way to salvation. So God is the one at work within us to keep us in the faith and to keep us faithful. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have an active role in that. We do. But we're only active in 
keeping ourselves in the love of God, keeping ourselves in the faith, because it is God who is strengthening us. He is at work within us, resisting sinful urges and temptations. And Paul talks about this in Philippians 2, where he tells the believers to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God at work within you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So that's the main command, is to to stay kept in the love of God. Do what is in your power, by the power of the Spirit within you, to keep yourself in the love of God. To trust in the faith no matter what. And now we get to these three participles, these these other supplementary commands that surround that, that bolster us in, in keeping ourselves in the faith. The first we see at the beginning of verse 20 is to build yourselves up in the faith. He says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. So the word that is used here for building in verse 20 has the connotation of building upon something that has already been built. We're all simply building on the foundation that God has laid since the beginning of redemptive history. He has laid the groundwork. He has revealed to us the foundation of our faith, and that is the gospel of Christ. The fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior because of the holy standard that God has put upon His creation that we fall short of every single day. The only just punishment for that sin is death. We know that we need someone to save us from that death. And God revealed His plan of salvation by sending His Son so that He would bear our sins in His body on the cross. So that by trusting in Him and His finished work, we can rest in the love of God. We can, we, we can find ourselves in the love of God and in the family of God because we have trusted in the work that Christ did on our behalf. And He saves us. Causes His Spirit to dwell in us so that we may live for God's glory alone. And we continually work to build ourselves up more and more in the faith. To remind ourselves, to preach the Gospel to ourselves day after day so that we are firm in our faith, built up on the foundation of Christ. And Christ is the cornerstone. It cannot be shaken. Our lives need to be built on that foundation rather than anything else. Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Again, that's Colossians 2, 6 and 7. 
That is our goal, to continue to build ourselves up and, and establish ourselves in the faith that God has given us. And we abound in thanksgiving, as Paul says, because of what God has done on our behalf. That He has saved us and He is willing to keep us in the faith. So we build ourselves up in the faith. Secondly, or rather thirdly, we're to pray in the Holy Spirit. If we are to stay kept in God's love, then we need the strengthening help of the Holy Spirit. We are fully reliant on His work within us. It is only because He dwells within us and guides us in the way of righteousness that we can live righteously. He is the one who is sanctifying us, turning us from the sin that we used to indulge in, redirecting us onto the path of righteousness so that our lives characterize the commands of God. That we would live in such a way that we are honoring God and we are reflecting His glory on earth. We can only do that by the strength that the Spirit supplies. So we are fully reliant on Him and we are fully reliant on God and that is why we come to Him in prayer on a regular basis. That needs to be a defining mark of a Christian. That doesn't mean that we do it perfectly. Paul again it says, this time in Romans 8, verse 26, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So he is, he is working to sustain us, even in ways that we may not realize that we need sustaining. He is the one working in us, strengthening us, guiding us in the way of Christ. And keeping us faithful to Christ's commands. So that we remain in the faith, that we stay kept in God's love. The last command that's given here in verse 21 that directly affects ourselves is to wait for the mercy of Christ. Wait for the mercy of Christ. So why are, why are we keeping ourselves in the love of God? It was because we're looking ahead to what Christ in His mercy has prepared for us in the future. You know, I mentioned earlier about Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, how the Spirit's presence in a person is a defining characteristic of them being a Christian. It says that He is a seal and a guarantee for the believer, but a guarantee for what? Eternal life. He guarantees and seals us for the day when we will enter into eternal life with Christ, living in His presence forever. So we must stay kept in the love of God as we anticipate the day when this hope of eternal life is no longer 
a hope for what is to come, but it is a, a joy of what is here. It is a reality. That is the goal that we're looking towards. That that is what we are waiting for. That that is what we anticipate. So these actions within ourselves build up our own faith and our own lives and keep us in the love of God. They have a direct effect on how we interact with others. And they, these things that we ought to cultivate within ourselves, rooting ourselves all the more on the foundation of the gospel of Christ, that prepares us and fuels us to defend the faith and proclaim it with others. So that's what we see in verses 22 and 23. These three commands of how we ought to interact with others in a way that we are defending and, and proclaiming the faith. So first, we're, we're commanded to have mercy on the doubters. Have mercy on doubters. So these, these false teachers, these false Christians have raised questions in people's minds within the church. There are many who were in that early church and many who are in the church today who suffer from doubts about Christianity. A lot of the questions that probably were plaguing that early church and regarding the false teachings that were going on in that early church are probably a lot of the same questions that people are dealing with today. It might be rephrased, but it's getting to the same core issue, the same core questions. The Bible has answers to all these questions. So we need to be rooted in the faith and fluent in Scripture so that we can answer these questions faithfully and in a Christ-like way, showing mercy, as Jude says. Another passage that's used, you know, Jude is kind of the standard text used for the the necessity of apologetics. But another verse that comes along with that that says that, that says the same thing and encourages us in the same thing is first Peter three, verse fifteen. It says to honor Christ as holy and to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. And Peter ends that I'm pretty sure I've said this in in this series of of messages on Jude. We're to do that with gentleness and respect, showing mercy to people because we're we're showing them what it means to be like Christ, what it means to be a Christ follower. That we are becoming more like Christ. We're being sanctified by the Spirit so that our lives reflect His perfect example in our lives. So that means that we are to have mercy on those who doubt. Who among us didn't have questions about the faith? Well, if you haven't, you, they're, they're coming. And don't worry. There's plenty of answers right here. If you can't find them, come talk to me. I'd love to help you find them. We, we need to show mercy to those who are doubting, who are confused, who are 
wondering, who don't know what's going on. And by, by showing mercy, we convey the character of God. This God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. By showing the character of God in that way and gently and mercifully leading people to the answers to their questions, we are faithful witnesses of the gospel. And by God's grace, maybe He will use that to draw that person either to saving faith for the first time or renew the faith that they already have and, and dissolving the questions that, that were plaguing them for a time. So that's the first command. The second command is to save others from the fire of judgment. So this is in verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. We've already seen fire imagery in the book of Jude. And it was always talked about with unrighteous people. And the fate that awaits those people in the end. The fire of judgment. So, so we're talking about the same terrible fate that awaits these false Christians. We're, we're going to interact with people who are destined for that same eternal fire. And Jude calls us to save them from the, that fire. What is that, what does that look like? It looks like evangelism. This is where we go and we proclaim the gospel to, to those around us and, and explain it so that they will come to trust in Christ Jesus as their Savior. So we're saving people from the fiery judgment of eternal death and bringing them to eternal life. Now again, this is not something that we're doing. It's the Lord using us to bring that person to saving faith. But that is still a command for believers. This is still something that we ought to engage in as believers, we need to make sure that we are proclaiming the gospel clearly in such a way that those who do not know the gospel around us can see the gospel at work within us and hear the true message from us. Their response to that message is between them and the Lord. But we, in all of this, we must be careful. And that gets to the third command that's found in verse 23. We need to be mercifully cautious around the ungodly. So verse 23 specifically says that we are to, sh- to show mercy with fear. So we need to be merciful, but we also need to be cautious. In Matthew 10, when Jesus is sending out the disciples on their first evangelistic ministry to proclaim the kingdom of God, he says in Matthew 10, verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In this, in that passage, Jesus warned of the dangers of getting too close to ungodly people. 
you know, this is not the first, this is not the only time that we see this sort of command or this, this kind of warning. Paul gives similar warnings a couple of different times in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 33 and 34, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. He goes on, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. You know, we, we like to think that we will always be this positive influence on those around us. And that does happen. Christians are positive influences on those around them. But it is far easier for Christians to slide into the ungodly ways of ungodly sinners and be influenced by them than be a strong influence on the, the, the on those ungodly people around us. So we need to be careful not to live as the world does. We need to stay vigilant as we interact with unbelievers ungodly people trying to share with them the hope of the gospel. We need to stay consistent. We need to remain, stay kept in the faith and remain steadfast there so that they will see our good works done in Christ and maybe that will draw them to faith in Christ themselves. That's the danger here. And and again, like I said, there are a couple of different spots in 1 Corinthians where Paul brings this up. So that was 1 Corinthians 15. Now 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. This is a, a very important warning for us. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. It's easy for us to think, oh, I'm fine. I've got this. I won't get... I don't get caught up in that. That's why, why would I listen to anything they have to say? That is the easiest way to deceive yourself into falling into habitual sin and ruining the witness that you have and causing a detriment to your spiritual walk. We need to stay vigilant. We need to be mercifully cautious. We need to show the mercy of God and proclaim the gospel of Christ while also protecting ourselves from falling into the same enticements of sin that have always allured us from the time that we were born. This is an active faith. We cannot sit passive in our faith in any way. We need to regularly, I'm going to keep going back to this, we we need to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day on a regular basis so that that is our foundation. We are rooted in the gospel and nothing else will knock us over. We are not tossed about by waves or blown about by every wind of doctrine, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 
but we are firmly rooted and planted in the gospel of Christ. We are to have no association with the sins of the unrighteous. That doesn't mean we have no associations with unrighteous people. We just have no association with their sin. Don't get caught up in the sin of those to whom you're trying to show mercy. Let the light of the gospel shine in you so that they may either marvel at the glory of God that is, that, that is unveiled in your life or they're repulsed by it. By being exposed to the light of the gospel, we see the true nature of a person's heart. Whether they are soft to the words of God and are brought to saving knowledge and saving faith, or if they are hardened to the things of God and resist it and continue on their path of destruction. So that is what we are commanded to do. We are to build ourselves up so that we remain in the gospel and that, and let that building up, that strengthening of our own faith fuel us into conversations with others, proclaiming the gospel, letting that be the focus of our lives, not getting caught up in sins and other distractions that would keep us from the love of God. Now, if we can only say that we stay kept rather than keeping ourselves, then there must be someone who keeps us. We've already seen that that is God. And the end of this book, we see that we ought to trust in our Keeper. Trust in your Keeper. The One who is able to keep us. In a short letter full of vivid imagery and elaborate analogies, in just a mere 25 verses, there's so much wrapped up in this one little book. And yet we have come now to the most glorious section of all. Verses 24 and 25. Let me read this again for us because it's just, it's just amazing. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To Him, God alone, the only One who can save us is the only One who can keep us in His love until the very end. I'm reminded of Philippians 1.6 where Paul says that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I also think of Psalm 121. 
121. Let me say that more clearly. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? There's only one place. My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Later on in that psalm, David says that the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, are we, does that mean that we're sinless? Of course not. Because we're still prone to forget. We're prone to, to not remember what Christ has done for us. Distract ourselves away from the faith that we have trusted in. Robert Robinson penned these memorable lines that we sing on a regular basis. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And turns it into a prayer. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God must be the one to keep us and to prepare us for that final day where He will present us blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. That final day when we will inherit the riches of Christ. Gain our eternal inheritance. That is, eternal life in the presence of God. That's all we need. That is our inheritance. We get to enter His presence. The visible manifestation of God's glory and character. And Christ is the one who presents us blameless in Him. And it is only because of that that we can enter His presence. And we enter with joy. This is our inheritance, our eternal living hope. That which we long for and we wait for. And we keep ourselves in the faith so that we can rejoice in that day. Here's more lines from that same hymn from Robinson. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass. For I know... Thy power will keep me until I'm home with Thee at last. He is our God. The only God. Our only Savior. The only One worthy of praise. In His glory, His majesty, His dominion, His authority, He has reigned since the dawn of creation. He still reigns to this day and He will reign into eternity forever and ever and ever. This is the faith that we hold to. This is the faith that God keeps us in so that we can defend and proclaim it in any circumstance. How could we not 
Stay kept. Stay kept in God's love. Trust Him as your keeper. And never let go. Let's pray. Father, what glorious truth that You are the one who keeps us. We could never do this for ourselves, God. You know that. We would wander away as soon as we committed ourselves to You. So we thank You that You are the one who keeps us that You have begun the good work in us. You will bring it to completion. Thank You for the hope and the certainty that You have given us that we will remain in You for eternity. Help us, Father. Strengthen us so that we stay kept in this way. And that we would boldly declare your faith, your gospel with our whole lives. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.